The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Can no longer offer the Springer Guarantee because for years he hasn't been on the air. Used to offer it. And I think that it would probably still have some auxiliary power to keep your children off of any kind of reality TV? Yeah, we've done uh, studies. Uh, you have to listen to 2.72 of these shows, and the guarantee kicks in. The reality TV guarantee kicks in that you nor your children will be on some reality TV program. <clears throat> By the way, speaking of reality TV programs, I was, this was some years ago, I was actually watching, and I think that guy was a shrink type, talking about, talking about, Children who felt abandoned by their parents. I think that was the tone. Because their parents died. But it wasn't what you would expect. I mean, you can feel abandoned. You can feel at a loss. I understand that. But they were upset at their parents to, to have done this to them. Isn't it kind of like the, that one high-profile case out in California where these two fellas murdered their parents and then they 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 said they had mitigating circumstances because they were now orphans? You can't make that stuff up. All righty. Good to have you with me. This is The Doctor is in the variant, the Friday variant. Most of the time we have this variant. Sometimes we throw in the main variant, which is call-in. But this is Look Back Friday. I'm looking at the little calls up there. It's kind of like the, the call board when we do live calls. Andrew Kruchek or our call screamer, Eric Dumont, puts the calls up and then a little little sentence or two summary of, of what the topic is, the comment, the question, the disagreement, the compliment, although we haven't had those. I, I think we got a compliment was... Uh, Last of 2015, I think it was March 3rd, 2015. I did mark it down. Looking at these look-back calls, several of them, and we will we will get to them. Well, I will get to them. You will get to them if you're listening. If you're not listening, you won't get to them. When I wrote my first book, and I thought it was going to be my only book, I remember this. It took me three years. When I gave the first rough draft to my supervisor at the Columbiana County Mental Health Center. I thought to myself, well, where else are you going to think, right? I'm not going to think to yourself. I said, I can't believe these parents coming in with this kind of insecurity. Second-guessing, questioning themselves, wondering when and how they could be wrong and 
the repercussions 22 years from now if they miscalculate. I just saw a massive amount of second-guessing insecurity among parents. I was shocked. And I didn't remember this when I had my own experience growing up with my own parents and the parents around me. Parents were the parents, and that's the way it was, and we were the kids. Well, I decided that some phenomenon's going on here. How's this happening? And it happened to coincide with the momentum of the experts taking over the child-rearing scene. For the most part, the experts came on the child-rearing scene and said, we're the experts, we've got the ideas, you listen to us, and you can't go wrong. But what was happening was there was a lot going wrong because the parents were confused, unsure of themselves, lacking authority. The first book I wrote was titled, You're a Better Parent Than You Think. Now, I'm going to tell you when I wrote that because you can do the math and then decide how many candles are on my birthday cake, and it's a fire hazard. But the book was written, in part, I believe, the only, the only reason I got it published is it must have struck a nerve with the East Coast enlightened parent types because it was a big publisher, a New York publisher. They wrote back to me and said, we're interested in your idea. Apparently, it touched a chord with a lot of these parents trying to be psychologically correct. Seems to be much more the phenomenon among parents who are, quote-unquote, better educated, at least academically. So given that, it took me three years to write that book. And one of the questions, of course, throughout that book and ever since then has been, am I right? Not me. I'm quoting you. Am I right? For example, I, uh, I don't want my kids to have TV during the week. Is, is, is that right? Is that okay? I don't believe in giving an allowance. I think the kids should do the chores because they live here. Am I right about that? Just That's the tone of many, many questions. Am I being psychologically okay? Am I doing what at least a consensus of the experts would acknowledge is acceptable. Here's my answer to the question from a parent, am I right? Now we're not dealing with immorality, we're not dealing with neglectful or abusive behaviors, we're dealing with the day-to-day dozens of decisions that parents have to make about raising their child. I'm going to assume these are loving parents who want to do well by their child, who want to raise the best child they can raise, a God-seeking youngster. And so these are not people, first of all, they're not going to listen to this program, but these are not people who are nasty, mean-spirited, unstable, abusive, pathological, drug-involved parents. These are people who say, I want to do good by my child. And their question is, is what I'm doing right? And this could tap into any one of all kinds of decisions they make. For example, if they say, I want my fourth grader to now go to a Catholic school. He doesn't want to go. Am I doing the right thing? Or... I want to 
adopt a child and my three biological children don't want me to. Am I doing the right thing by adopting? So they ask a lot of questions about decisions that they make as parents and they want to know if they're right. Now the trick to that is assume I tell them they're right. Well, they could go out and find another expert who thinks I'm wrong. If they say to me, I swatted my three-year-old on the bottom because he went out into the street, is that okay? And I say, I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, they could get a bevy of other experts that would say that was awful, terrible, and horrible. So how do you decide when you're right? You're going to take a poll of 100 experts? Experts can't agree. You know that. And definitely many experts do not agree with religious parents. So here's the question. I haven't answered it yet. I've been rambling on, tap dancing around it. How do you know you're right? In most cases, you are right because you are the parent. These are your decisions. Now, if you say to me, if I do it this way, Dr. A., What is your experience on what the outcome could be? What is your experience on the pros and cons of doing it this way? For example, Dr. A, I believe that I should have my child write a letter of apology when he's disrespectful. All right, you're the parent. Well, I've I've read a lot of places where you don't make them write because that'll turn them off toward writing. And I don't want them to be turned off toward writing. You know, you wrote a book, Dr. Ray, so maybe you didn't have to write essays because if you would have had to write essays, you wouldn't have liked writing and you wouldn't have written a book and you wouldn't have any books at all and you wouldn't be a psychologist and that's it. Now, you see, that sounds that sounds rather far-fetched, but it isn't because many parents think like that because they're frightened they'll do something wrong with long-term repercussions. I will say, well, if you think that's what you want as a parent, that's your decision. But Dr. Ray, I want to know if I'm doing something wrong. Well, I can give you my experience. I can give you my impression. I can give you my opinion as someone who does this with a lot of parents. But in the end, the decision is yours. And if you say, but I want to make the right decision... And I would say, by whose definition? If you are going to make your 14-year-old go to Mass, and your 14-year-old does not want to go to Mass at all, and you were to ask 50 experts of a secular bent, I have no doubt the majority of them would say, No, you don't make the child go to Mass at age 14 if he doesn't want to go to Mass. I have no doubt they'd say that. If you say, I have no problems whatsoever with swatting my three-year-old's bottom when he's defiant. If you poll those same 50 experts, I don't have any doubt that probably 45 of them would say, no, don't do that. So are you going to say, I've I've got to parent my child the way a consortium of experts would say? Or are you saying, this is my child, my home, my values, 
my decision. I have to live with the outcome. I think that's the best way to look at it. It's not to say you can't gain experience. It's not to say you can't learn. Obviously, I've written other books, so I think I got something to offer you. But my point is, I'm not giving you psychological gospel. I'm giving you ideas for you to decide whether these will work well for you or whether they won't, or to give them a chance to see how they work. That's a bit, that's a bit different from saying, if you don't do it my way, you're wrong. So are you right? Much of the time you are. Why? Because you're mom. Because you're dad. Dr. Ray. We did not come here as enemies. We came only with friendly intentions to talk. The doctor will be with you in just a moment. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. Isn't it awesome that we today do not recognize his presence in the Eucharist? Is it because we really don't go to him in humbleness of heart and say, Lord, I don't believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see you. I want to recognize you. I cannot live without you. Are we saying that? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Dr. Ray Grandy, psychologist father of 10 and my kids orthodontist's summer home good to have you with me this is look back friday let's go straight to one of our calls from laura she has a friend who doesn't want to hear about our lord i gotta believe we all got a whole bunch of friends like that this friend of yours who 20 years 20 years friendship uh when you bring up jesus has she has she been a faith-filled person over the years or not? She's gone to church and um, she has read her Bible and knows the the basic tenets of of the Christian uh, faith. Um, 
and she would definitely call herself a Christian. And she says, um, I believe in Jesus, so I'm, I'm going to heaven. And in the meantime, she's, she's dealing with a loss, and it's really, really hurting her. And I, I really want to come alongside her and help her um, by talking to her almost every day. We, we don't live super close together, so we talk on the phone quite a bit. And um, whenever I, I try to offer things like um, offer your suffering to Jesus, or Jesus knows how you, how you feel, he knows the depth of your loss and all this, she, she doesn't want to hear it. She, you know why? Because she, she's still hurting and her view is, as long as I'm still hurting, he's not doing his job. Yes, I think you're right. But she's she's also like, when she prays, she she will ask for like, oh, I want, I need this to happen. I need this thing to go easy for me. I need this. And so even today, she told me she said, well, I asked God for for help with this specific thing, and so far he hasn't done anything. Mm. And I just want to tell her, come on, girl, that's. God's not a slot machine. Well, I Laura, I, just... I think you're going to have to accept that your friend kind of has an immature view of God. Yeah. He's there to serve her. Now, what can you do about this? Is she a mother? No, no, she's uh, single. Uh, I she's... mean, she's never had kids. Never had kids. Uh, okay, wasn't cause... wasn't physically able to. That eliminated what I was going to suggest. However, I'll still suggest it in case there are those listening in a similar circumstance to yours, which is when your children asked you for things, did you always give them what they asked for? No. Why not? Well, I knew what they were asking for wasn't necessarily good for them. Or I knew something better for them. Aha. I see. So... You were smarter than your kids, right? Yeah. Well, do you think God is infinitely smarter than you? So that's the analogy I would use, but since you can't use that with her because she never was a parent, I guess I would just ask her a couple of questions, Laura. I would say something like, I wouldn't I wouldn't try to correct her thinking. You try to correct it, she's gonna fight you. I would make her explain her thinking. Example. So why do you think that Jesus will always give you the answer you want? Well, he said, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be open to you. Whatever you ask for in my name. Now, she knows her Bible enough to say that. Right. Whatever you ask for in my name. Okay. Are you familiar with other verses that say we ask wrongly? We don't really know what we're asking for? Where's that? Uh, that's in James. It's in James. So I, I guess I would ask her, do you think those verses literally mean if you say, dear Lord, please let me win the lottery, that he'll let you win the lottery? Well, no, but I'm not asking to win the lottery. I sound like your friend, don't I? I'm asking you, I'm asking the Lord to give me good things, things that will help me be a better person. Okay. So you think he's not helping you to be a better person? Well, it's not happening. Uh, do you think it should happen right away or over the course of a lifetime? In other words, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, let's think this through here. This is how you view God. I'm going to ask you how you can explain 
how you came to view God, as you say, I like it, a slot machine. But even slot machines only pay off every so often, you know. This is between you and I, and I would never even remotely give your friend a whiff of this. I would say something to the effect of this is a, a, a very self-centered view of God. Very. Which is, give me what I want. And if you don't give me what I want, I really, I really do doubt your love for me. So yeah. I, I would do that, Laura. I wouldn't argue with her anymore. Don't argue with her. The bottom line, too, is she's saying, okay, I had this horrific loss happen to me. Where is God? Correct? Yeah. Yeah, I know. This shouldn't happen to me. Yes. I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. I love God, so nothing bad should happen to me. That's just a, a terribly fallacious view of the faith. But the most you can do, my dear, is just have her explain how exactly it is that she got to that view. Don't dispute her. I know the temptation will be to dispute her. You know, God's not there to serve us. God is not there to answer our every question. No, you say stuff like that and she'll just come back at you. You know that. You've already tried it. Get her to tell you why it is she thinks that. I've got a mechanical pencil in my hand. From what I know and understand about elementary physics, I'm looking at this pencil and pretty much understanding one gazillionth of this pencil. A gazillion is uh, it's, it's a word that can have as many zeros after it as you want. Not like trillion that has so many zeros and quadrillion and quintillion. No, gazillion is whatever. I came to this conclusion. This helped me understand a little bit why I don't understand how God does things. Now, obviously, there's scripture that indicates this. My ways are as far above your ways. But for me to make it more real, as I became fascinated with science, with physics, with the subatomic laws. It is so mind-numbingly complex. I cannot understand the forces that make up this mechanical pencil. I can't understand why they stay together. And, And physicists don't know why they stay together okay they can hypothesize matter attracts matter but exactly how the incomprehensible trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of atoms that make up this pencil and the fact that this pencil is not what it appears to be it's all space but it looks solid to me but it's all space And the fact that this pencil has particles in it that are moving at nearly the speed of light in their vibration, 186,000 miles a second. As I ponder this pencil, and I realize it is so, so, so far beyond my understanding. It's far beyond our brightest scientists' understanding, too. It's more clear to me 
how foolish it is to say, well, I don't get why God does it that way. You know, he should do it that way. I mean, that's the way I do it. That just hit me so hard in my fascination with science, with the subatomic world, with the universe, which is the other direction. How am I to comprehend exactly why a four-year-old dies? Exactly why they're suffering? What arrogance. I forget who it was that said, if we could understand God, he would cease to be God. For me, that was a revelation. The more I understand how things work, the more I accept. I don't quite get why God does it, but I trust him to do it best. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mother Angelica said that the essence of evangelization is to tell everyone that Jesus loves you. Matt Frad says that it is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Are we so full of the things of the world that we can't hear or receive the gifts that God is giving to us? In Isaiah, we hear, The Lord delights in you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes, and I love you. Well, we often don't want to hear that, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it hits us over the head even more that we're invited to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, and he's come to establish his kingdom. The Beatitudes are the eight roads to God. They lead us with his gifts of the Holy Spirit to become the new person in Christ who will find happiness and bring that happiness to others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. Connection with Teresa Tomio. So when you see these different media outlets working directly in conjunction or conclusion with the government to suppress stories, what does that say to us about the reliability or lack thereof of the secular media? And then this is combined with a report that came out, a survey that was done on media executives. They interviewed 75 media leaders around the country. And they're saying, we're done with objectivity. Well, that's not exactly a news flash, but the fact that they're claiming that objectivity is just no longer necessary and we are elitists, we know better, and this is what we're going to do, is frightening. And this is one of the reasons that we stress the importance of having outlets such as The Register and EW10 News Nightly and The World Over and Catholic News Agency and EW10 News In Depth. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. And last call, I was wrong. And I refuse to be wrong on two calls in a row. Dr. Ray Garendi, program doctor is in. Monday to Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production, EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and Ave Maria Radio Communications. My producer man, editor for these calls, Andrew Kruchek, father of Audra Rose and John. Nice kids from everything I understand. Good kids. Andrew's taking good care of them as their daddy. I'm a little struggling with this show today. I, I can probably confess. Um, I'm having a, a weird psychological experience. Um You've heard of out-of-body experiences where people like float above their body and they have this sense that they're not in their body. 
I'm not having that. I'm having an in-body experience. I feel like I'm <clears throat> inside my body, looking out through my eyes. Yeah, I'm looking at the world all around me, and I'm feeling like I'm trapped inside my body. Odd, odd experience. You know, when I said that once, I think I actually had somebody email me and ask me about that if I was okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is Look Back Friday. Let's see what we got here. And, oh, boy, I just talked myself all the way up to the limit here. Noel has a self-critical inner voice. Who's criticizing you? Tell him to stop it. I know. Yes. Well, I've just been uh, in the last probably year and a half aware, more aware that of this inner critic voice and I've been realizing that's not me. <laughs> that's not my thought. <laughs> and uh yes, it it's is. getting so bad. Yes it is. It is <laughs> it's your, getting Noella, so bad. It is your thought, dear. What's that? It is your thought. Well, yeah, I mean it's just so It's a dumb thought, but it is your thought. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um and it happens so quickly that it's like I don't know. For example, I'll go to like a RCIA meeting and I'll have a talk, you know, in our group and then I'll come home and I'll pick myself apart and be like, that was so dumb. Why did you say that? Now they think this and this and this of you. And sometimes it's Have you so always done this to yourself? Noelle, have you always yes. done? Really? Yeah. Yes. But I've so, only recently been aware lately that it's like that I can separate myself from it, and I sometimes do get relief from this voice, but sometimes it is so very loud that I don't get relief, and I don't leave my house because it's so bad. Oh! Oh! Well, wait a minute. We can't have you doing that. So let's, let's, let's analyze your inner voice from, at two levels, okay? One, my dear. It is you, and, and it's very irrational you makes no sense okay so once you once you recognize that yeah okay that is a voice that you have given uh what a venue to you've you've given an audience to which is you mm-hmm. once you know that you can start to tell that voice that uh she's really dumb mm-hmm. that in fact that whatever she's criticizing you about at your rca meeting is ridiculous it's just ridiculous you pretty much need to put that voice down she's full of beans now there's nothing wrong with good self-analyzation but you got to get better at realizing what is honest self-analyzation and what is self put down and it sounds to me like what you're describing is mostly self put down so you, so you went to okay let's take the RCIA thing as our as our template you went there you said a few things. You got back home, and you said, boy, oh, boy, I wonder what they're thinking. I must have, that was really dumb of me. They're probably thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, did it ever occur to you, dear, to say to yourself, they weren't thinking anything. They're not thinking about me. <laughs> they're driving home concerned with their own lives. That's right. the first thing. Then the second yeah. thing is this. The second thing is this. Let's say that they were. Let's say there's one person in there who's driving home going, boy, that Noel chick. Oh, man, I don't know how that lady thinks. Woo! Okay, what is the problem with that? Why does that bother you so much? 
What do you care? <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't cuss anybody out. You didn't make any heretical statement. You didn't put anybody down. You just gave an opinion about something. And if somebody else is thinking to themselves, boy, her opinion's ridiculous, isn't she? Who? What's she doing here? <laughs> you got you got to tell your inner voice, your critical inner voice, to shut up and to realize there's a better way to think. See, I, my, you know what? You don't do that, my dear. You don't. You just let your inner voice run rampant, don't you? It feels like it, but it also yeah. feels like sometimes there's no control. Like, I know there, there is, but sometimes I just is. don't feel like I can get control. Well, you can get control. Be- okay, I'll tell you an easy way to get control. You ready? If someone came yeah. to you and said, I was in RCIA, I drove home, and I just started thinking about what I sounded like. And oh, I and yeah. I just I was putting myself down. I was wondering what people were thinking. I was getting all distressed, and it kind of ruined my mm. night. Would you say to that person, "Oh, gosh, well, keep thinking about it because tomorrow it'll probably go away," or would you give them some decent advice? Right. Yeah. Kindness, of course. Well, why don't you give yourself that advice? Oh. No, I have a, a question. I've named the inner critic. Do you think that's okay to do? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> that inner critic's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I named oh. her Bermuda because I get lost there. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you ought to name her something that has no meaning. You know? Right? Let's see. What could we? What could we name her? Something that is totally inept and doesn't belong there. You know? Absentia, something like that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. get lost the. (laughs) She's very much on target. Uh, We have these inner voices, which are our thoughts, and we tend to lean toward the more self-critical type of thoughts. Now, I'm not talking self-scrutiny. Self-scrutiny is something we all need to do to improve as a person. But self-critical is something where we don't sort out what is something I can improve on as I think about it and something that is ridiculously out of line in putting myself down. We, We lean toward the irrational. And there's reasons for that, and I'm going to talk about it in about two minutes because this music is starting, and this music is very self-critical. Well, it actually isn't. It's critical of me. It says, Raymond, be quiet because I'm about ready to interrupt you. In a few seconds here, I will get to why we do this to ourselves. And believe it or not, it has something to do with our survival mechanism. Yeah, yeah, we're we're wired to survive. I'll draw a parallel. And you can think I'm full of beans. And you can be critical. But my self-critical voice isn't going to put me down for this. It may be a dumb theory. But I'm not putting myself down for being dumb.
are the people of God, the Church, related to religions who have yet to receive the gospel? According to the Catholic Catechism, the Church is linked to the Jewish religion. The Jews were the first to hear the Word of God. The Jewish faith is already a response to God's revelation in the Old Covenant. To the Jews belong the patriarchs, the sonship, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. Of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, for the gifts, says the Catechism, and the call of God are irrevocable. The Muslims are related to the Church in that they acknowledge the Creator, profess to hold the faith of Abraham and adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. The Church's bond with other non-Christian religions stems from the common belief in the origin and end of the human race, which in both cases is our Creator God. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. In a Facebook world, we can multiply virtual friends. And yet psychologists and sociologists tell us we have fewer and fewer actual friends. This is not good. We're made for friendship. Friendship with God, first of all. But secondarily, friendship with other human beings. Jesus calls his apostles friends. And when he faces his greatest suffering, he asks his inner circle of friends to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They come, but they fall asleep. Jesus isn't crushed when his friends fail to live up to his expectations. He doesn't withhold his love from them. He doesn't cast them away. Nor does he suffer their neglect silently. He confronts them. Couldn't you have prayed with me for an hour? Then he moves on to do the will of his Father in heaven. When friends let us down, as they will, we should follow the example of Jesus, lovingly confront them, but remember that they can never substitute for God, who stands ready as our ultimate friend. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. You know, you don't stop being a dad. Even when you're on the radio. My daughter (laughs) is at the dealer looking for a good used car. And she said, Dad, I need a copy of your license. Can you send me a copy of your license? Send me a picture. So during the break, I took a picture of my license. You know what's bad? I noticed this about my license. You know you're getting old when you look at your license picture and you think to yourself, it's not a bad picture. wonder if I can get an 8x10 glossy of that one. Good to have you with me on this Look Back Friday on The Doctor Is In. Been on the air 20 years here on the radio. TV show's been 12, Living Right with Dr. A. We're starting production for season number 13 very shortly. And have some uh, guests that I'm hoping very much to tell you about. However, I want to talk a little bit more about Noel's self-critical inner voice. And I said I'd offer a theory. We are wired to survive. It's a universal wiring. God put it in us. We want to survive. As such, we are hypervigilant to assaults. Now, the assaults no longer come in the form of lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! For the most part, this is about as safe as the bulk of humanity has been. Now, you listen to the media, of course, we're all all in immediate danger. But the fact of the matter is, for much of human history, 
Life was short, it was brutal, and it was at the hands of the powerful. And your whole your whole area could be taken over by anybody who wanted it and was more powerful, and you weren't going to call the cops. You had to defend yourself. Since the assaults are no longer as immediate or physical, we still have that hypervigilance wired into us. But now we're vigilant to people's opinions, people's words. We're vigilant to being thought less of, which is what was happening with Noel. She scrutinized what she thought were other people's thinking opinions of her. Well, she's in RCIA. She's not very bright. Maybe she should have maybe she should have read a little bit more before she came in here and asked that question. We do this. And it's fascinating. I've always as a psychologist and you learn to look at things differently as you're in the business longer. I'm much more fascinated now by the kind of power that people's opinions have over us that we are hyper-attuned to what they might be thinking. Are we doing anything wrong? Noel didn't do anything wrong in RCIA. She didn't yell out. She didn't dispute somebody in a harsh way. She, she didn't do anything that could be considered change-worthy, where she would have to apologize or where she could go home and feel bad about the way she acted. She didn't do any of that. All she did was think, maybe I didn't come across as competent as I would want to come across. Shoot, I wrestle with that one every radio show. If I were to be concerned about that, I probably would have quit the radio show a long time ago. I just wouldn't want to come across as not professional, not articulate, saying things that people highly disagree with, even verbally attack. So it is wired into us to be hypervigilant to other people's thoughts and opinions about us. It's wired into us. Fortunately, we have a higher brain that can override that. Noel can start thinking more realistically about her inner voice and say it's not making any sense. So what if someone in that RCIA thinks I come across as not as competent as them? The problem could be them. They could be arrogant. They could be feeling superior to people when they really shouldn't. It could be all kinds of explanations. The most likely explanation is nobody even thought it. Noel needs to tell her critical voice, you're full of beans. And people will say to me, but, but Dr. Ray, it's not easy. It's not easy to change thoughts like that. And I use this analogy. Do you think the same now about a whole range of things as you thought when you were 20? Probably not. Maybe when you were 20, you said to yourself, I don't want to have any kids. I don't even want to get married. 
And by age 24, you thought, I, I want to get married. I want to have kids. Well, how did you change your thoughts? Because they changed. How did you change them? Well, you changed them by rethinking, by looking at things differently, and by believing that the way you look at things makes more sense than it did before. And for Noelle, it makes more sense for her to say, why am I so caught up in what I think people are thinking such that for the next three hours after I get home, I'm stewing about this? you got to be your best counselor. I'm Dr. Ray. I know not to ask any questions. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. better make this quick because I got to get to it. Mike from Alabama had a teenage son who ran away. Our 16-year-old son who we just started homeschooling last month who has been discovered to be on the spectrum of autism ran away, went missing Saturday morning. We, through a little uh, help, we were able to find out he drove his car to a local restaurant. From there, we don't know what happened. We got an email at 11 o'clock saying he's not in Alabama anymore. He's frustrated with uh, and stressed 
Uh, he doesn't like the way we put pressure on him at school. He's not going to die. Uh, he's got a place to stay, and he loves us. That came at 11. At 4.30, we got a call from him saying he's in Tennessee. Please come get him. We drove six hours and got him. Got in the car. He seemed fine, untraumatized. Drove him home. But during all that time, doctor, he, he basically plays video games on Xbox. And we feel that he was influenced, if not planned, with somebody to go to somewhere north of here, Michigan perhaps. What we need, we found some phone records on AT&T that he contacted somebody uh, at 447 Saturday morning and that uh, he was contacting him all through the night before. What we need to know is what do we do now? We know the rule book says to not punish him, to talk it, take it slow, get him comfortable. We're doing all that. But we feel pretty sure he's still in contact with whoever that may or, we don't know the whole story. We may never will, but we don't know what to do. We want to do the right thing, but we don't know what the next step is. You want some bad news, Michael? No. <laughs> okay. Give it to me. I'll give you some neutral news. You alluded to it in a couple of the sentences you said a little bit ago, which were that he's much into video games, he has a phone, and what apparently has been going on, you, you correct me if I'm incorrect, and it'll be the first time since 2003, I think, what apparently has been going on is that he has been getting shaped by all of the technological info that's coming at him, all the social stuff that's coming at him, and he's decided that you people just don't understand him. You people are unreasonable. You people are expecting too much. You people are making his life difficult. So far, so good. Am I, am I on target on this? Yes. Okay. And that the bad news is this, Michael. It's been going on for quite some time, and he's 16. That's the bad news. So that if right. you say to yourself, okay, well, we're going to start restricting these things, you won't you wouldn't have the fight at age 10 that you would have at age 16. He also says something else interesting. Does he have a license or did he just take your car without permission? He has a driver's license. We just bought him a car a few months ago uh and he never he never drives much. He goes to the Waffle House or McDonald's or or uh, Well, you might have to reconsider a car. Now, if you do that, I think he's going to react badly. Okay. Okay? So that's what I mean is for the bad news. When you get to a point in a certain place in the kid's life at age 16, and he's had this kind of socializing from all kinds of other things, he now thinks a certain way. And what he did was he figured, okay, I'm going to get away from these people so I can be happy and free. And then he found out, oops, this isn't so easy. Help, Mom and Dad. Now, you're hoping that he learned from that. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Who knows? Run away once, decent chance you'll run away again. You might want to consider the car, seriously. You might want to consider the smartphone. 
you might want to consider the time he spends on the computer. Because right now, his attitude is, you people are making my life tough, and I don't like it. So, you might want to talk to somebody to get some guidance. Uh, I'm not sure. Who do we talk to? That's our problem. Well, the problem is, and here's, here's how I see it. Many therapists that you would talk to would probably tell you you've got to give your son these freedoms because if you don't, he'll get really upset and he'll feel <clears throat> isolated. That's what they'll tell you. The problem is these very freedoms are what are causing much of your trouble. That's the problem. So now you're between a rock and a hard spot to use a cliche, which is the stuff that is influencing him badly, if you reduce it or eliminate it, then he's really going to get mad. That's the rock and the hard spot. So as parents, you're going to have to make a decision. And the decision is going to be, which is our least bad solution? If it were me, I'd seriously think about the stuff that has shaped him into having that kind of attitude toward you, your wife, and the way you're teaching him. This is always the question when a kid gets to a certain point. He's already run away once, and likely he ran away to someone that he connected with via the Internet. And this someone heard his tale of woe, how awful his parents are. And this someone said, come here, we'll do this together, we'll live together, we'll do all this together. We don't even know who that, obviously, someone is or whether he's dangerous or is who he even said he is. So given that, Dad has to make a decision. He's already misused the car. He's already used the car to take off six hours away. He said, my son has been diagnosed on the autistic spectrum, which would indicate that his judgment, his social judgment, his emotional judgment is not at a 16-year-old level. Likely. Don't know, but one could assume that given, given what Dad said. So therefore, you not only have Internet freedom, vehicle freedom, Coupled with, coupled with immature judgment, that's a bad combination. Now, if a parent says, and again, I'm not willing to tell dad what to do on the basis of that information, but if a parent says these things are opening up risky behavior for my child, the parent now has a decision to make, and the decision is, do I eliminate what I think are the opportunities for him to act riskily again and weather the storm? Whatever he might do, whether he walks away leaving the house rather than driving away. Those are unfortunately the decisions parents have to make when they get to this point when a child has done something like this. Thank you for joining me. Dr. Ray here. Doctor is in. Doctor is out. I thank Andrew Kruchek. And I thank all of you for keeping me company. Walk with God, and you won't run away from Him. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.